is good to see you here today. I just love being in the house of the Lord, and uh, I hope your commute is fine. Mine was a little rough this morning, but uh, I still managed to get here, but I couldn't find a good parking spot. Oh, well. For those of you who don't know, I just live behind there. Um, some announcements. Next week, we're having our fellowship lunch uh, featuring Mexican food. Everybody will be invited. And I hope you can come. We have our baby dedication today, so you're going to want a bulletin. So if you don't have a bulletin, uh, you could raise your hand and Eric can get you one. So. And after church today, we're going to have children's practice up here. Uh, next week, we're going to have a jam-packed service time because we're going to send off Brian Rafferty to Officers Candidate School with some prayer. And we have about 5,000 children reciting Bible verses. That's a, a broad number, but God has blessed us with children with parents that love their children and with excellent Sunday school teachers that have invested their lives into the kids. And it's just so neat to see these little sponges just soak in God's word and be able to give it back. So please show up for that. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, it will be a joy to dedicate the children. We'll talk about that in just a bit. So we have some more, as well as then to see those that have been dedicated and have been nurtured by their parents, to see them share what they have hidden in their heart. This is one thing we emphasize a lot, and it's in your bulletin. This week's verse from Psalm 8611. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What a great passage to meditate on this week and for you to teach your little ones and those that might come into your path. Walk in his truth and reverence God as part of your life. This is what we gather together to do, is to worship God today, truly to hide his word in our heart and to have a great reverence for him. I want to give you a moment privately where you're at to prepare your heart to be able to worship Christ today. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart that you might be able to hear the very words of Christ that are meant for you today. For some, it may be an awakening to a newness of life in Christ Jesus. To others, it may be awareness of the abundance of life that is in Christ. If you're in Christ, it's a great blessing. We'll enumerate at least five of them later on here in the sermon. But for now, I'd like for you to prepare your heart to be able to worship him in all aspects of our worship today, the hearing of God's word, the reading of it, the prayers, the hymns, the songs, the spiritual songs.
take a moment now to prepare your heart. I'll allow you to pray privately, to confess your sin, recognize that he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a great blessing it is for your people to gather together to worship your holy name. I pray indeed we would be more aware of who you are, all that you do, and that the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters today across this world who may be in different circumstances than us and may not be able to freely worship without the fear of physical harm and destruction to their own life, and yet they are gathered, many, who have not bowed the knee to Satan, but are looking to Christ. I pray that you protect them and keep them. I pray that you would grant them a knowledge of the solidarity of your people who gather indeed on this very day, the Lord's Day, to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to await his soon return. I pray, Father, that indeed during this time that you have allotted for us on this earth that we would redeem it and use it wisely. I pray, Father, that we ourselves would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and that that would overflow into the lives of the people that we touch. May Christ be a true joy, a deep-seated delight in each of our hearts. I pray, Father, that your kingdom would expand through the proclamation of the gospel. I pray for every single one here that we would truly know Jesus Christ as Lord. And I pray that we would truly reverence your name and hide your truth in our heart. Bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us even this day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's take our inserts and let's stand together and let's sing, Arise, My Soul, Arise.
have a special dedication of children today, and so you should have, in addition to your worship folder, this baby dedication folder. If not, we'll have some more in the back, and Andy can get it to you, because we're going to address both the parents as well as the church. And so for now, I'd like to invite the parents up. Jeremy and Alaris Nunn are bringing Esther Hope Nunn, born 7-30-21, and Brian and Brooke Rafferty bringing Elsie Laudalina Rafferty, born 2-3-22. of 22. You guys can stand on either side so that, and up front so they can kind of see the baby, you know, right here. Now what we do as a church is we have this dedication of babies or children, and it isn't to give somehow give them grace, if you will, and they're bringing up their other children. Come on up. That's great. Stand right here. But it is really to dedicate more or less ourselves. You as parents, and then us as the body of Christ, as the church, and to recognize this important role that we have. By the way, I get to slip this in because Jeremy and I were talking about it earlier. My daughter has just finished basic training. She was going to be a vocalist, but they told her that she had to be a warrior first. Well, I did discover, Alaris, there are some character qualities of motherhood in basic training. Let's see. They don't sleep. They have to eat their food like in about a minute. They're always carrying something heavy, right? And other things that you could imagine. So maybe it will, after all, provide some benefit. And of course, you guys have been through it more than once. But again, our goal here as the church is to truly to be alongside of you. Now, Brian and Brooke will be traveling on, but we do pray that you will find a church body in which these principles can be carried out. But I want to assure you, with your time with us, you will always be part of our family. And we will pray. And the elders are here in support. And we have many within the church who function that way as well, who will pray constantly for your children. And you know what we're going to pray for? That every single one of them will come to Christ. Not just these, but as these begin. And you know what? Next week, I hope you're able to come to see these little ones as they grow up and develop and to be able to sing of Christ and speak of Christ because you know what? You have shown them Christ. This is a great missionary effort, Mom. One of the greatest responsibilities you have. I know it's incredibly difficult. And for both of you, we've talked, we've prayed, we've helped. I understand that. But see the big picture of it. See them one day confessing Christ as Lord in believers' baptism. See them grow up and nurture children as well. And teach them the very things that you have taught them. And you become a grandfather and see them, see them have children and hear them speak of Christ. It, it is a great joy and great delight. Well, we could go on and on for sure. Or at least I could. So to help me try to rein myself in before I, I awaken all of the children here, let's go ahead and make this address. 
and to the parents. And parents, this is a charge and a commitment to you, and I want us to think in solidarity to it. Your answer to the questions hopefully will be uh, yes, we will, or something to that effect, as we give you the charge. And then ch church will address you in just a moment. First, to the parents to remind you that this child that you hold is, is a gift from your heavenly father. And before the thought of your child entered into your mind, the Lord had already determined that your child would be born and that you would be parents. Your child's birth is therefore an occasion to celebrate and to reflect on God's goodness. And here's a question. Will you glorify God by recognizing that he has given you stewardship of this precious child? Scripture commands you as parents to teach your children about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Only then will your child be adequately equipped for the challenges of this life, and they will have many. And sufficiently prepared to meet the Lord when he returns. But your child's spiritual welfare will not be accomplished simply by telling your child about Jesus. It's the words of your mouth combined with a godly lifestyle that will effectively communicate the message of God's love and saving power to your child. The birth of your child needs to inspire within the both of you a greater resolve to let Christ shine through you by being even more intentional in your pursuit of holiness and the supremacy of God in your home. Question, will you glorify God by teaching your child to value God above all things by what you say and do? Church, here is our address. It isn't just for these parents. Yes, they have a primary responsibility and stewardship of these children. But we have a responsibility as well as the very family of God. And to the church... We're all part of the family of God. And as a family, we need to work alongside of these parents in their efforts to betray Christ to their child. And here's the question, church. Will you rise to the challenge of being brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ and exhibit godly characteristics and thus provide continuity in what is being taught in the home and what is being seen here in the church? Congregation, what is your response? As a family of God, we must also be willing to hold one another accountable and confront one another when a sin is made in order that the purity and integrity of our commitments are maintained. You have heard these parents state their commitment to a greater level of Christ-likeness for the sake of their child. Will you now acknowledge their commitment and indicate your willingness to agree to help them keep their promise. Church, what is your response? Okay. The elders will come forward. You guys gather close together, and you can love on this child as way as you can. And, and I will pray for us. Congregation, let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray for these. I pray that you will bless them and keep them. I certainly make your face to shine upon them. 
I pray, Father, for these homes who have the stewardship of these children, Father. I pray for both of these little girls. May they come to Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that I would live long enough to be able to see that blessed event. And may it continue in generation after generation after generation. Build your church with godly people. I pray that you will bring together families like these who will stay together and bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I pray that you will bless them and keep them. May they stay faithful to Christ, walk in his truth, and teach their families truly to fear you. I pray that your blessings would be upon both these homes and these children. What a great grace for you to grant these children to these parents and to this body of Christ. May your name be glorified in their lives. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have a little token gift for each of you guys to take. A little Bible for each one. God bless you. Andy says I put children to sleep, but um, <laughs> occasionally I can wake them up. So Blake's going to come and lead us now in f- 354. Christ has made a sure foundation. That's the foundation for your family to be on as well. Let's join together as Blake comes to lead us. Christ has made a sure foundation, 354. Let's stand together, 354. Christ has made the sure foundation, Ephesians 2.20. We are built upon the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Christ has made the sure foundation.
He leadeth me, O blessed thought. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Psalm 23, 2. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 102. Psalm 102, which you will find on page 501. In his treasury of David, 
Charles Spurgeon introduces the psalm as follows. This is a patriot's lament over his country's distress. He arrays himself in the griefs of his nation as in a garment of sackcloth and casts her dust and ashes upon his head as the ensigns and causes of his sorrow. He has his own private woes and his personal enemies. He is moreover sore afflicted in body by sickness, but the miseries of his people cause him a far more bitter anguish, and this he pours out in earnest lamentation. Not, however, without hope does the patriot mourn. He has faith in God and looks for the resurrection of the nation through the omnipotent favor of the Lord. This causes him to walk among the ruins of Jerusalem and to say with hopeful spirit, No, Zion, thou shalt never perish. Thy sun is not set forever. Brighter days are in store for thee. Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the, on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingled tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have, to you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Amen. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants. Hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked on the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. 
You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word in which we find a comfort and encouragement in times of trouble and hope for better things to come. We pray for the conflict in Eastern Europe. You would spare your people there from disaster and that you would bring peace where there is war and that you would bring justice where there has been wrongdoing and that thereby your name would be glorified. As for our people and our country, we recognize that you have been kind to us beyond measure, favoring us, blessing us with temporal and spiritual blessings. And yet, even as we give thanks to you for the liberty we enjoy, prosperity, and the gospel going freely and being believed widely, we do ask your continued blessing on our nation in our country, we, we ask that you would revive us, give spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. You would give us wisdom to our leaders and to the lowliest of us that begins with the fear of you and that leads to repentance and that thereby many would be spared your judgment. And Father, we ask that you would bless the offering that's given today, that we would enjoy the privilege of being part of your work on earth and the building up of your kingdom. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we have to sing Count Your Blessings, so let's take our hymn books and stand and turn to number 585, Count Your Blessings. Our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We'll have females sing number two by themselves and males verse three. When upon life's billows are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all. 
Lake, Amber, and Church. Indeed, I hope you are counting your many blessings, and thanks for humoring me with that hymn. It's becoming one of my favorites now, and we're going to preach again on the blessings that Christ had proclaimed to those who believe in him. He would say in verse 29 of John chapter 20, and Lord willing, we'll finish out this chapter and move on next week. We needed to take another glance at his proclamation in verse 29 of chapter 20 in John. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Those who believe, those who trust Jesus Christ, are truly blessed. We know in general, of course, that someone is certainly blessed who the Lord does not impute iniquity. He could count it against us and perhaps should, but it is a great blessing not to have that counted against us. And that should be really enough, that in general. But given various circumstances that you may encounter in life, at times you may not feel all that blessed. You may feel very burdened. On the other hand, you may be distracted by lesser things, temporal things that might seem to be a great blessing at the moment. And chasing after them is not much different than a fish going after a lure, finding a hook in it, and getting tangled up. Temporal blessings are certainly a gift from God, but what Jesus promises is something far greater than that. That is the state of the believer to be truly blessed. And we're taking the time to remind you of that very thing. For those who are in Christ, as Paul would remind the church at Philippi, whatever circumstance you might be in, you can find great contentment. Not in temporal things that are here today and gone tomorrow, not in things that might really distract you and burden you or whatever might be going on. Not on circumstances, but good or bad, but on Christ and Christ alone. You're going to find that contentment, that true contentment by belief in Jesus Christ and him alone. It is a blessed state that exists for all who believe in Jesus Christ. It is greater than anything that would attempt to diminish it. Let me give you the context in which Jesus gave this blessing by backing up a little bit to verse 24 and just remind you of the context in which it's given. Thomas is introduced, called Doubting Thomas. We understand his circumstances. And here Jesus condescends to come to him and remind him, and by way of application, all who believe in Christ, of how blessed they truly are. Notice verse 24 of John 20. 
Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That is the prior time he came, last Lord's Day. So the other disciples told him, that is to Thomas, they told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. And of course, he said to them, unless I see his, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Foolish statement. But from his perspective, that's what he thinks. So eight days later, that's an idiom for the next week, the next Lord's Day as we come to know it, Sunday. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He'd have to. He nearly frightened them to death. He's recreating the same scene as last week, again, condescending to this very one, Thomas. And beyond that, then he says to Thomas in verse 27, Go ahead, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it into my side. Go ahead. Touch me. See it. For real. It's factual. But here's what's most important. He commands them this. Do not disbelieve, but believe. There's no greater command, no greater question. And put before us even right now. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Believe what? He gives the answer. Verse 28, Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. That's what we want you to believe. Believe that. And Jesus asked him rhetorically in verse 29, have you believed this because you've seen me? Not really. <laughs> he didn't touch him, did he? He came by faith. And he reminds of the blessing of faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let us pray. Father, we have not seen or touched Christ, and yet we believe. And so we praise your holy name for that faith that you have granted to us. I pray many others will continue to hear your word beyond this day, the days to come, the little ones as they hear your word. May they respond, my Lord and my God, and truly believe. May all of us truly believe. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus' response here is a really a proclamation. He reminds Thomas and all who will follow the proclamation of Christ from these apostles to even this day. That's why you believe you have heard the word. The Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and you believe. He talks, Jesus talks about the state of this one who believes and that they are said to be blessed, truly blessed. And again, we can think of it in general, but I want to look at it specifically. And I'm thankful for James Boyce who indicated at least 10, walking through the Gospel of John, 10 places in which belief 
This is an active verb, if you will, a continuous thing, not something, oh, well, I once believed, but now I'm in a different state. No, this is a continuous thing. It would be like life. If you're alive, you will have signs of life. The signs of life for those that are regenerate is belief. Oh, there may be times when you struggle with it, like a drowning man in a sea of water, but he's alive, and that struggle will demonstrate that indeed he has life. And Christian, those that are regenerate, have belief, they have faith, and therefore they're blessed. I'm thankful for James Boyce walking through this, and he identified 10 as you go through the Gospel of John. This might help you. Another way to look at, later on, the Gospel of John as you go through it, to itemize and think about your blessings. Or as this hymn indicated, count your blessings. And here are some of, not all, but some of the blessings wrought about by faith. And if you aren't with us last week, uh, or if I went too fast through them, you can write the first five down right now. I'll remind you, and then I have five more. It is by faith that you will become children of God. That is a blessing to be a child of God, John 1, 12. It is by faith, by belief, that you will indeed have eternal life, John three sixteen. It is by faith that you will be delivered from judgment to come. John 5, 24. Talked about that in the training class this morning with Andy about the judgment of the world. You want to think about what is to come or you're concerned about what things might happen? Think about Genesis 7 where the whole world was drowned like rats. Judgment is coming. I assure you, believe in Christ, who is the only ark of hope. Trust in him. But those who do believe are those that are blessed, that are protected from judgment. I better stop while I'm behind here, or I'll never get through. But it is a great blessing to have right now to not be under condemnation, John 5, 24. It is by faith that you will, number four, have the blessings of spiritual satisfaction in this life right now in Christ, John 6, 35. And it is by faith, by belief, that you, you yourself then, by faith, will be a blessing to others. It is great to have a blessing granted to those that are in Christ, John 7, 38 through 39. Well, I'll try to get through five more. And again, as I mentioned, this is not the sum total of the blessing. This is just a count. And we can only count so many at a time. That's, that's why I thought I would dwell on it this way, five and five. And a good way, again, to think about the Gospel of John as this is rooted here in John woven through the text of John, another way to think about it, and that is the blessing of belief. So number six, or one in our sermon today, is the blessing of the final resurrection. 
It is by belief in Jesus Christ that you will enter into the final resurrection of life. Here, I invite you to to remind you where this was taught in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and if you remember this chapter, this deals with the resurrection of Lazarus. Temporal in this life as it might be, but it pointed to a final resurrection to come. John chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus encounters Lazarus' sister, and he says to her, Martha, your, your brother will rise again. Okay? So Lazarus is dead. He's speaking about resurrection, specifically about her brother. And he says that, he, that he's going to rise again. So her first thought, verse 24, she says, theologically correct, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is familiar with this theological concept of resurrection at the end of the age or the eschaton. There there are two categories, generally speaking, of resurrection from an eschatological standpoint. The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. A resurrection which would be said of eternal life and a resurrection uh, to eternal damnation. In our doctrinal statement, we put it this way to describe this theological concept. We teach the bodily resurrection, note this, of all men. The saved to eternal life, John 6, 39, Romans 8, 10 through 11, 19 through 23, and 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Eternal life for those that are saved, those that believe. And we teach that the unsaved to judgment and everlasting punishment. Daniel 12.2, John 5.29, Revelation 20.13-15. Martha's response here in verse 24 of our text in John 11, she says, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. She's pointing to this eschatological concept and truth which is sound and true but why she does that she's missing one major point do you see the point it is Jesus Christ who is standing before her right now this concept of resurrection to life is not so much about an eschatological plan it is about a person his name is Jesus Christ do you believe Do you know him? That's really what matters. It doesn't matter if you can understand and figure out and put all this together. What really matters is Jesus Christ. He's standing before her now. He makes this profound statement about resurrection. He has life within his own breath and word. In fact, that's what he says, doesn't he, in verse 25. He says to her, that would be Martha, he says this phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who you need to see. That's who you need to believe. 
It is Jesus Christ who is that resurrection and life. It's not just some plan and purpose that unfolds and happens. Certainly that's part of it. But ultimately it's tied up and wrapped in to the person of Jesus Christ. And notice how he defines it. Whoever, notice this, believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You will physically die. And yet you will live, how? Because by faith you believe in him. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That is, this eternal judgment of damnation is gone. This is the resurrection promised in Jesus Christ. And the real question is this, do you believe this? You must believe. And for those who, you, who do believe, You need to ramp up your measure of belief because this is a blessed state. Could you imagine being in those two lines, one or the other, one to eternal judgment and one to eternal life, and you're in the the line for the resurrection to life? That is the blessed line. There is no better line. And if you're in Christ, you're in it now. You're just waiting in queue for that time to come. You couldn't be more blessed. Jesus is commanding here Martha to believe personally. To recognize that all the promises made are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is standing before her right now. It is by faith in him and him alone in which you will be raised from the dead. Paul describes this in a theological way to the church at Rome, if you wish to turn with me, Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. And we'll go through 11. And again, this whole concept of resurrection, the, the, the point we're focusing on, it needs to be about a person that is faith in Christ himself. Not a place in particular. Yeah, it, heaven, we can think of it in, in that aspect. But ultimately, it's about a person and faith in him. Listen how Paul describes this resurrection to life and how it is inextricably linked to Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 5. He says, for we have been united with him in a death like his. Right? Those that believe in Christ, he died for their sin. Their sin was laid on him. And certainly, we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. See how it's linked together? Just as certain as Jesus Christ died on the cross, so your sins are atoned for, and just as certain as Christ rose from the dead, you will have a resurrection like Christ. And he goes on to explain this. We, we, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin, i.e. the penalty paid, right? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That that. Negative side and positive side, they both go together. We know that Christ, verse 9, being raised from the dead, will never die again. 
Death no longer has dominion over him. He died to, to sin once for all. But the life he now lives, he lives to God. This is your position, beloved. Listen how Paul wraps this up. So then you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. How? In Christ Jesus. What a great blessing. And he's calling the church here at Rome, Paul does, to consider. That is, this is, a, this is an absolute fact. But sometimes the circumstances of life might overwhelm you to the point you forget the blessed state you're in as a believer. And by the way, this is only for a believer. So believe in Christ (laughs) that you might have this resurrection life that is brought about only by faith in Jesus Christ. I won't get into the depth of it because I'll need to move on, but Paul will talk about this unique state that he likens here. We will be like him in united in a resurrection like his, verse, um, uh, I think it's verse 5, yes, verse 5. What's that like? Well, you see a glimpse of it here in John 20 when he's able to both be in a material world and an immaterial world at the same time that the material constraints don't bar him from existing in those worlds. Paul would describe it in 1 Corinthians 15 about this resurrection life that is promised. It is sown perishable. That's the current state. But it's raised imperishable. That's the resurrected state. It is sown in dishonor. Right? But it's raised in glory. We Hence we call it a glorified state. It is sown in weakness. That's our current state. The resurrected, it's raised in power. It's sown as, as a natural body, this body that you've seen, but it's raised as a spiritual body. It's a, it's a unique existence in this resurrected body. It corresponds to this body. There is a connection, but it's yet different. It is greater power, spiritual strength. The blessing of resurrection is to all of those who believe in Christ. Let me give you another one, number two. It is that through belief, you will be able to see this. This comes by faith not really by sight. In the same chapter we're in, verse 40, John chapter 11, Jesus says to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, there's the faith, you would see the glory of God. He reminds Martha that here, believers in Christ are going to have a perception of the glory of God that is unique. If you look around, the glory of God certainly is revealed in heaven and earth in a general sense. Psalm 19, 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Not, I would say most of us, if not all of us, have at some point in time just simply looked at the glory of the sky, whether it is night and you can see clearly all of those stars, or if it's in the evening time or even the morning and you see a sunrise or sunset as we talk about it. It is glorious. So why doesn't everyone truly see it more than the physicality of what is going on? Why don't they see this as God's handiwork, his beautiful design? You know, he didn't have to make the world so even in its current fallen state so beautiful it is glorious it is beautiful it is his handiwork from the very various creatures that are that are full with all kinds of colors they're not bland and quite a mixture in in things that he has created unbelievers those who don't have faith in christ they don't see the connection between the creator and his creation. It's in plain sight. It's as if they just can't really see it. They hear. You can't help but hear, but they really don't understand. They can read the substance of the Bible, in fact, but never really understand the significance of what is before them. It, something just doesn't connect There's a missing aspect in which they don't see the glory of Christ in it. I was reading an article about this brilliant psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson. Perhaps you know him. In some of his recent talk, he explained about the importance of the Bible. In in one interview he went through, he he said it was essentially this book here, the Bible. He said it's the first book. It serves as the basis on which other cultural knowledge was built. He says, literally, the Bible here is is just one book put together. He says that of all the books, in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book, that's the Bible, and that the book itself, he's speaking of the Bible, isn't a book, it's a library, it's a collection of books. He argues that the Bible text is a text upon which other text depends. It's essentially the means that the scripture occupies a special place in displaying, setting, and perpetuating truth. He'll go on to make another statement here that I have. He would say that it's not just that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes its way more which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of true, he would say. You know what I would say to him? You're not far from the kingdom of God. And perhaps we should pray, because you'll have to go one step further, and you need to see that Jesus Christ is true. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He's knocking on the door of truth. 
But there's still a blindness to the glory of what is here. You know why? Because your response would be, my Lord and my God. That's the right response. These other things are good, and I encourage that. And for secular people to recognize the value of what you have right here is good. But there is a lot more to the significance of it. And beloved, if it doesn't break through to your heart to where you see the glory of Christ in these pages, you are missing it. This comes through faith. Not many wise people are chosen because you're not going to come here by wisdom. Some are, and that's good, and we do pray for those. But God often chooses the very weak. 2 Corinthians 4 is a familiar passage to me. I've mentioned it before. It's worth noting, 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 3. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. See, that's the idea of not seeing the glory of God in Christ Jesus and in our gospel. In their case, he says, the God of the world, of this world, has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what you have to walk away from. And only through belief will you see this light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It comes about through faith. And so this is why Paul would tell the church at Corinth in the next verse, so what we proclaim is not ourselves. We, 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 we don't give them all this wisdom of why this is the best resource and why all these facts line up, which all of it does. But you're not going to come to faith that way. We proclaim not ourselves, but Christ. Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. He gives the spiritual dynamic of it that comes through faith. For God who said, light, let the light shine out of darkness. He's pointing all the way back to Genesis 1 in creation. God who spoke the worlds into the distance. Yes, that very God has, has done what? He has done beyond that and he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a supernatural work. How does it get accomplished? Simply by proclaiming Christ. But beloved, have you heard him? Have you seen his glory? This is a blessing that you have that others do not. The others, they may be intellectually far superior. They may have all kinds of resources and ideas. But I'll tell you what, to the very littlest of us, this is one of the greatest blessings that you can have is to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Paul will say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. <laughs> he, he, he recognizes what you have. Do you understand what you're carrying around with you? As a believer, the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, you say, well, I'm just a, a nothing and a nobody. I know. And that's the point, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. I liken it this way. The difference is the substance of glory versus the significance of it. And 
Beloved, if you're, if you're reading this like a textbook and that's all you get out of it, you haven't seen the face of Christ. I would admonish you to pray. Simply this. Here's an idea. Show me your glory. And beloved, I guarantee you he will. I wrestle with this when I go to prepare a sermon. I work. I know it's a mechanical thing to some degree. You have to separate clauses and ideas and look up words and all of this. But beyond that, I don't want that. I want to see the glory of Christ. And I'll pray that he'll show it to me, illuminate in my heart to where I see it. And when we do, it is a great blessing. Do you have that blessing? That's a blessing of faith in Christ Jesus. Number three for today Faith is the blessing of a holy life. John chapter 12 and verse 36. John 12, 36. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe. This is a command, an imperative. Believe in the light. And that's what we're telling you now. You got the light. You see it. Believe it. Why? That you might become sons of life. And then they illustrated Jesus here in John 12, 36, he, when he said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. <laughs> kind of give him an object lesson. It's right there. It's right now. And then he hides. Drop down to verse 36, uh, 46, should I say. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The children of light this blessed state of being a child of God, metaphorically, no longer walk in darkness. You walk in darkness, you're going to stumble. You walk in darkness, you're going to fall, you'll trip. You might step in a hole or something dangerous. Here is a blessing to those that have faith in Christ that they no longer walk in darkness. They have a light and a lamp to their path. They have a different worldview. They see things differently in the light of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, that's a great blessing. Living contrary to God's law, his word, his path, is a pathway to self-destruction. This is a current trend, has always been from the very beginning. Since the fall of man. A current popular trend in walking away, creating worldviews from the mind of men, will certainly lead to self-destruction. What's popular out there in some of the news is just overwhelming to me in my mind and can be greatly discouraged. And I wonder how anyone can have a rational thought and come up with an idea that somehow male and female are one and the same that they are transferable, that God didn't uniquely make each one to display his glory in a unique way and the beauty of each male and female for unique functions as image bearers. Rejecting that, which seems to be a popular trend in our culture now and in many other cultures, you understand that's a pathway to self-destruction. It's like chasing after a shiny object with a hook and line on it that is going to snare you 
and trip you up and cast you down. It, it, it is self-destructive. I know the headlines, and you know them. Now, now a, a male swimmer is the best female swimmer. I still can't get my mind around that. How can any rational person think like that? How, how could, well, well, they get tripped up in their own ideology, that's all. And then it practices, it, it works its way out. I mean, stop signs are there for a reason. So you don't get killed by oncoming traffic. These eliminations of distinctions will are self-destruction. And trying to create avenues of fairness from the mind of men is ultimately self-destructive because it's built on a foundation of the glory of fallen man and not Christ. Uh, I, I wonder what is going on in the minds of people. They may build a, a great tower of Babel that seems pretty impressive at first until they find out the foundation is not set on the bedrock of truth, and it just collapses in and on itself. And I do pray for that. I do pray for that the light of the glory of Christ would, be sh- would shine into some of these people, for sure. But I do also want their worldview to come crashing down as well, because it isn't helpful for humanity. It's very harmful and very hurtful. Believers have a different worldview. We have a different light. No wonder you can see the darkness and the lunacy of this insanity. And we want to live a holy life. Holy life is, is not just righteous activity. For, it is, but it's not just that. It is a life that is sanctified, if you will, and separated unto God, pleasing him following his law, his word, his distinctions in, the, in his design. It is ultimately our love for Christ in faith in him that is a stronger bond than anything written down as a law. It is our love of Christ that motivates us, that constrains us, that keeps us bound to his heart. And beloved, it isn't a struggle of a holy life that just comes about by your own flesh. It is the work of Christ in your very heart. Paul would tell the church at at Philippi in chapter 2, in verse 12, he tells the church to, to obey. To obey what? To obey Christ. So not only in my presence, but in, in my absence. Don't just be religious when other people can see you. Be following Christ because of your love for Christ. And he says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That is, in reverence to God. To work it out is the concept of what we call sanctification or living a holy life. And he gives you the, the reason 
of how that's going to happen in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You have that blessing. You have an internal desire brought about by the very work of God to seek for repentance, to look to him to engage in a, in a righteous life, in a holy life, not because you're somehow better than someone else and you're a better rule follower. God is actively working in the heart of those who believe to have them continue in belief and to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. It is an ever-presence conforming you to the image of Christ. And should I say, that's a great blessing. If God were not work in my life, you wouldn't allow me to stand before you. Okay? You would say, be gone. I am that wretched man. Trust me. Or I just ask my wife, she'll tell you. (laughs) At times I can't imagine how wretched I am. But there's something else that's driving inside to seek a holy life, to drive myself by the Spirit working in my heart to seek union with God in Christ Jesus. Paul says he presses on later on in this chapter towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That pressing on comes about through God's sanctifying work in the heart of the believer, and that's a blessed state. Otherwise, I would be in very bad shape. Number four, by faith, it is the blessing of a what we would call a fruitful, or maybe you can think of this term, an effective life. John chapter 14, verse 12 John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Christ making this emphasis by saying, amen, amen. Whoever believes in me, notice notice how this belief is connected. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. So whoever has faith has fruit effective work as it's described here. But don't get tripped up on this. He's not talking about you're going to do more miracles than Christ. Nobody has done more miracles than Christ. None of the apostles ever came close to what he did. You understand that? I mean, he went everywhere healing everybody instantly. There's nothing like him. All the demonic activity that is still going on, by the way, is just hidden. Of course, they would be covert. But they couldn't help themselves when the Son of Man walked the earth, right? In his ministry, it it is unique. It was demonstrated and his miracles served a purpose to authenticate him as the messenger of God. Even as the detractor said, no one can do these works unless God were with him, so said Nicodemus. It authenticated then his message because his message had to be true, verified by all he did. 
But there is another purpose in it, and that is to bring about judgment to those disbelieved. Could there be any more work that could be done? Don't blaspheme the very work of God done through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ. To reject Jesus means that you're going to die in your sin. He has done plenty and plenty enough. What Jesus promises here about doing more work to his believers, he's talking about the quality of work accomplished through the Holy Spirit who he promises to send to indwell all the believers by faith. It is by the Holy Spirit, by the way, that the believer will put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put together whatever plan you want to have, I know, go for it. But ultimately, the way the deeds of the flesh are going to be put to death is through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that you're going to produce the very fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not from the flesh, but from the Spirit. It is through the filling or the control of the Spirit that you're going to then walk in soberness in, of mind and have praise to God from the heart, responding in what we might think of as psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This effectiveness of our work ultimately is through faith. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to accomplish our mission. And let me just stop here for a second to the, to the moms and dads with the little ones. You have a mission. And I know it can be hard and difficult at various times. But look to the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish your mission. It is through the prayer of the saints that is essentially translated, if you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit that will accomplish God's work. It is through the proclamation of the gospel through the saints that through the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the mind comes about and changes a sinner one at a time. What a great blessing it is for those that are in Christ Jesus to have an, a, a fruitful and effective life in and of yourself and to those that you minister to through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a blessing given to unbelievers. It is for you. Finally, number five, and I want to show you the text here in a little greater detail because I think this one, you need to walk home with this one more than any others. And I want to tell you about somebody that's praying for you right now. Beloved, we pray for one another, and that's good, and we should. But occasionally I'll remind somebody of somebody else that's praying for you right now. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? I mean, it's one thing to have me pray for you. I'll pray for you anytime. Or friends, families, loved ones, whatever. But look at John chapter 17. Here in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17 Jesus makes it clear that this 
application is, is not just for those disciples that are in his presence, but it is for all disciples. Verse 20 of John 17, he says, I don't ask for these only, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. As we emphasized before, that's how belief is going to come. It's going to come through the foolishness of proclamation of preaching, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they will come to faith, that is, they will believe through their word. So he's talking about you. What is his prayer? Verse 21. That you may be one just, that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world then might believe that you have sent me. He's talking about their, about our union with God in Christ Jesus. Just as the Father and Son are unified, thus the believers with God are unified in him. So he said, verse 22, so that the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that may, that, that, and then he, then he moves this forward, that they may be one even as we are one. He's talking about here, first in verse 22, 21 and 22, the spiritual unity we have with the very triune God. That is a blessed state, by the way. He says, and then he goes on to describe then the overflow of that, that unity that we have in Christ overflows in our unity with one another, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be, that they may be perfectly one. That is unity with one another. That is how you have unity within the church because you have unity with a triune God and it overflows into our union with one another. And it provides a great testimony of truth so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. He's pointing back to belief. They believe. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Christ continues to make it known. This love of God that is in Christ Jesus, it is Christ that is asking, not just for those disciples, but he's asking for you. You have a high priest, a mediator, if you will. His name is Christ Jesus, and beloved, he is praying for you. And if Christ wasn't praying for you right now, you'd be in big trouble. One example, and I'll finish. Luke chapter 22, something you may be familiar with, and we'll talk about Peter next week. Satan desired to have Peter, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He wanted to shake him up a bit, sift him like wheat, as the text said. And beloved... Believer, Satan would have you. But he can't get you. Because you have the blessing of the prayer of Christ. 
if you're a believer in Christ. Peter, uh, Jesus would say specifically about Peter as he addresses him, Satan's demanded, but he says, verse 32 of Luke 22, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know why Peter did repent and did return? Because Jesus prayed for him. He says, when, when, you, when you have turned again, that's the imagery of repentance, then strengthen your brothers. So even in his failure, it becomes strength to his brothers because he recognizes that his strength is not in and of himself. It is through Christ. And it is Christ then who prays for him. You know why you haven't abandoned the faith? You know why you haven't walked away? You know why you could continue come back in repentance and faith? Is it because somebody's twisting your arm? Because you're trying to please somebody? I'll tell you how it really happens. Christ prays for you. I can't, beloved, if you only get one, get this. Know that Christ is praying for you. What a blessing. I don't care what situation you're in. You, you, you say, is anybody praying for me? Yes, Jesus is praying for you. For all those that are beloved in Christ. So count your blessing, children of God. Count your blessing of eternal life. Count your blessing of, of no judgment, of satisfaction in this life. Truly, of being then a blessing to others, whether they're believers or unbelievers, the, giving them the blessings of, of God in Christ Jesus, the blessing of resurrection, of seeing the glory of God, of sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, of the fruitfulness in your life, and finally, for the prayer of Jesus Christ our Lord. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It's going to surprise you what the Lord has done. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for Christ Jesus, our Lord. The many blessings that we have, more than time would permit and paper hold. But I pray our attention would be turned to Jesus Christ and him alone, who indeed is our blessing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Beloved, take a moment now to think on these things. If you're outside of Christ, repent and believe now. If you're inside of Christ, count your blessings one by one. Take a moment now. constantly reminded and overwhelmed by the blessings that we have indeed in Christ Jesus. To the praise of the glory of your name. Amen. I want to count my blessings one more time before I get off it. Would you indulge me in 585, I think it is, and sing it out thinking about some or all or even more than what we've talked about 
and not in a trite way, but the true way, the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's close with this, 585, count your many blessings. The Lord has been merciful to us. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord will increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed to the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven and the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth shall be given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down in silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen and amen. We're dismissed.